Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look for a few minutes this morning at the freedom of worship. Not the freedom to worship. I'm very thankful we live in a country where we have the freedom to worship. But I want to look this morning at the freedom that we have from worship. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you, God, that you've never failed us, God. You never have and you never will, Father. You're always there. I thank you for this precious book, God. I pray you'd anoint the teaching of your gospel, Lord. I pray that you'd move as only you can. May your Holy Spirit touch each soul in this place, God, and have us to be what you'd have us to be. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. God, we ask that all things, our greatest desire on this day is that we be pleasing to you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I want to look at the freedom that comes from a heart of worship. But I want to start out by saying this. The devil also understands how important worship is. And because the devil understands how important worship is, he will do everything he can to attempt to stop you from worshiping. He'll do everything he can to interfere with your worship life. Now, the devil has a, a foothold in the church. It started just a few weeks. If you read the book of Acts, you find where the church began and, and, the, and they were added to daily and, and people bought in. They sold in and the church was amazing for, oh, for about three or four weeks until man got involved, until opinions got involved. And, and so we see that the devil's had a foothold in the church really since not long after it began. But one of the biggest problems in the church today, one of the biggest footholds that the devil has on the church is things called tradition. Uh-oh, you're going to go to meddling this morning. You have no idea. It's things called the past. You know, those things like it's the way we've always done it. One thing that the devil takes advantage of is the human tendency to gather into select groups of people who think like we do. Because we've got it all figured out. And so people that think like us, I don't know why they can't just do it my way. I don't know why they can't just do it our way. And here's the problem for one is that mentality exists between the churches of the living God. Because they don't do it like we do. They've got it wrong. No, they don't. Because we don't do it like they do. We've got it wrong. No, we don't. It's called worship. But unfortunately, the problem doesn't just exist between the different church bodies. The problem exists within the church body. There's too many peer groups. There's too many cliques. There's too many little, boy, if we could just have everybody do things our way. Tom Rainer wrote a book. It's called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. That's exactly what he's talking about. Deceased churches. Churches who have closed their doors for good, sold their buildings, never to come back. Rainer was a, well, he still is, a church consultant. He's been a consultant for years, and he tries to help struggling churches. They call him in, they come in, and, and he's gone in, and he's helped thousands of churches. Some of them have survived, some of them have thrived, some of them have died. And what he does is he goes in and he tries to perform an autopsy of the deceased church. You go in and talk to people that were there and those that, that stuck it out and those that may have left early and try to find out all that he can because, you know, when, when there's an autopsy, if somebody just dies unexpectedly, they do the autopsy because they want to know what is it that caused the failure. 
and to try to learn from those things. So that's what he does here, trying to learn what is it that caused the failure. He says the most common problem among the churches that died was that they lived in view of the past. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. I just wish it was the way it was. Well, it ain't, so get over it. I just wish we'd go back to faith like it used to be. Well, it ain't. What we were was important then. What we are is important now. God used what God used then the way we were then. God has us what God wants us to be now. Here, here's what Rainer says. He says, the most common thread among deceased churches was they refused to let go of the past. They lived their last several years, y'all ready, with the past as their hero. They held on more tightly with each passing year. They clung to the things of the past with desperation and fear. And when any force, internal or external, attempted to change from the past, they responded with anger. The responsibility of a pastor is to feed the sheep. The Word of God is very clear when he told Peter, feed my sheep. Sorry, guys, it's not marriage counseling. Robin says amen to that, right? We do our best. It's not financial advisor. To be honest, it's not even hospital visits. I know you can get all sideways if you want to, but if you want to read an act, that's really a sign to the deacons. You know, appoint yourself seven men. The, the number one duty of a pastor is, is to feed the flock. And if you're feeding anything but the gospel, you're feeding garbage. If you're feeding anything but the Word of God, then you're not raising a healthy flock. You're not taking care of the sheep. As pastor of faith, I have had to learn a lot. Unfortunately, I have a whole lot more to learn than I've already learned. I'm very thankful that we have such a kind and patient and loving God. God has second chances over and over and over and over. What I've learned is that God is willing to teach me anything if I'm willing to make myself teachable. See, one of the problems in the church, one of the problems among us Christians is, is that we're not teachable. We already know how we've done it. We've done it that way for years. We don't need to do anything different. The way we do it is right, and everything else is wrong. Well, if you're referring to the Word of God, then you're right. Everything else is wrong. But most of the time in those kind of statements, we're referring more to, to tradition. So I've, I've told you guys multiple times, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I may have learned a little something about worshiping and the freedom to worship, but I, I learned some legalistic garbage. Sorry, but I grew up listening to a bunch of stuff that ain't true. I grew up that, that it was important on how you dress, and this is what you had to look like to be a man of God. You know what I learned I was? A whited sepulcher full of dead man's bones. You men do dress up and appear holy on the outside. You appear righteous under these, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Inside you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You know what I learned is that right before I became pastor of a church, I wouldn't have went to the church that we are today. With a band, with a worship band and a worship team and the kind of music we do, oh, I wouldn't have went to that. It's called Pharisee. It's called tradition. It's called legalism. I'm sorry, but legalism has destroyed the church. Man, it's taken legalism and taken things like, hey, you got to dress this way. Hogwash, find it. The women's hair's got to be so long. Find it. Women can't wear pants. Find it. You bring me a scripture. Nobody can wear shoes. Shorts. Why? We're a bunch of heathens around here. Isn't it amazing the, the, the legalistic view, views of man? Let me give you another one. 
I'm a heathen. See this little bit of off color? Oh, yeah. You can't preach unless you got on a white shirt. Find it. I've traveled and preached at churches, and I had to carry a white shirt and change clothes because you're not allowed to preach on their pulpit if you don't have a white shirt. You know who's not invited in that place? This Holy Spirit. See, see that, that's the traditions of the church, and those are the things that, that are killing the church. The tradition list goes on and on and on. But if you really want to stir up a bee's nest in a church, just start talking about the music. Listen, I, I tell people all the time, I tell visitors, and it's true, it's what I want everybody to know. Go to church where God leads you to go to church. If you don't like things where you are, seek God. People are sitting in so many dead-end spots because that's where mom and them always went. Sorry, that ain't why you need to go to church there. It don't matter where mom and them's at. Don't matter about grandmama. Don't matter that uncle so-and-so was the pastor or granddaddy so-and-so was the chairman of the deacons. It doesn't matter. We are to serve God where we are to serve God. God has a place for you. And we're to find that place and plug in. Billy Graham, he's talking about going to church and worshiping. He said, some people find it easier to draw closer to God in magnificent buildings with some form of organized ritual. Others find that they can seek God only in stark simplicity. Some people find themselves more comfortable with formality, while others feel more at home with informality. The important thing is not how we do it, but with the sincerity and depth of purpose with which we do it. Do we come to church to worship God? Or is it just Sunday? Do we come here to bring glory and honor to God? Or do we just come here to, to, to fill off our checklist? Or are we just going through the motions? Here's what the text says. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking to yourself doesn't mean talking to yourself. Although I'm not the only one in here that does that. We all have that down to science. Thank God for cell phones and Bluetooth. Because now we can act like we were talking to the radio. When you know you wasn't. I was having a perfectly good conversation. I looked over and saw somebody looking at me like, that dude's lost it. And then you start acting like you're changing the, the phone. It's not talking about talking to yourself here. It's talking about the children of God coming together and, and talking among ourselves to edify one another, to lift up one another, to, to rejoice together, to promote worship among the congregation. The word psalm is a set of music accompanied by a voice. That's what psalms is. I've told you before that it's simply prayers written to music. But the word song, the word psalm is a word that simply means song. That, that, that's the whole definition of the 150 psalms. The word hymns there, that's a religious verse. Then it says spiritual songs. That means songs of praise. That's songs of worship. That's not worldly songs. So, so we are commanded to sing spiritual songs, we're commanded to sing worship songs. Throughout the history of man, mankind has sang worship songs. Tim was talking about the Old Testament back in Genesis chapter 3. Go back there. Go back and study Moses. You'll find that Moses wrote all kinds of songs. Praise and worship songs. The people, the children of Israel, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, sang praise and worship while wandering in the wilderness. Joshua wrote praise and worship songs to so all throughout you find that they wrote praise and worship songs, but not just praise and worship. They were accompanied by music. They, they had all forms of instrument, and well, they even had dancing. 
I, I read it in the book. See, many, many of the psalms of praise are written from the mountaintops. Now, that's important. That's important because we're not careful the mountaintops is when you'll forget to pray. Hello. When everything's good, peaches and cream, life is good, family's good, money's good, all is good, those are the days you can forget to thank God. When everything's going good, you have no real troubles, no real trials. So what we see is that many of these psalms, psalms of praise, they're written from a mountaintop. That reminds us that on the good days when we're standing on the mountaintop, we're supposed to praise God. But all of the psalms aren't. A lot of the psalms of praise, key word there, of praise, are written from some of the deepest, darkest valleys of life. Some of the psalms of praise are written in times of sickness. Some of them are written right after times of defeat when Israel had, had lost to other armies. They're written in times of suffering. They're written after times of loss. They're written in times of family problems. They're written in times of turmoil. They're written in times of pain and suffering. So those psalms remind us that there's never a time that we shouldn't offer praise to God. We should never forget to thank Him when we're on the mountaintop. But we shouldn't never offer our praises we're in the darkness of the valley. Praise and worship isn't something to be reserved for Sunday morning. This is an opportunity for corporate worship. This is an opportunity for, for a corporate praise. But if we haven't praised God all week, it ain't going to mean much in here. If we've gone through our whole life all week and we haven't been offering any praises to God in private, it's not going to mean much to God in public. God's not worried about our show in front of other people. God's worried about a heart that adores him. And a heart that adores him doesn't adore him from 1030 to 12 on Sunday. A heart that adores him adores him 24-7, 365. There's never a time that we don't offer praises to God. So, so as children of God, we, we are commanded to, to praise God even in the most difficult seasons of life. To be honest, when, when things are most difficult... Things are the hardest. Things are the most challenging. Those are the times when our praise and thanksgiving is the most powerful. When, when, when we can praise God in spite of the situation. Throughout the book of Psalms here, the people of God took every opportunity to praise. They, they knew that praising God was of utmost importance in the good times and in the bad. So no matter what season they found themselves in, no matter what season we find ourselves in, it's always right to praise God. The pleasures of the world are temporary. The Bible says that sin has its pleasures for a season. You know what that tells me? Is that the things that the devil will use to lure you, to deceive you, to tempt you, those things are pleasurable but for a moment. Those are the things that lead away from God. Those aren't the things that, that bring joy. Joy is what the Lord can offer on the darkest day of our life. Joy is what the Lord can offer in spite of what's going on around us. When we don't feel like worshiping, but we choose to worship anyway, God will not only change us spiritually and physically and, and, and emotionally, but God will show up in the ways exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. When, when you start praising God in the depth of your valley, you don't feel like praising God. You feel like crying. You feel like throwing rocks. You feel like kicking something, punching something, busting the TV, throwing some junk. You don't feel like worshiping, but you begin to force yourself to worship and to praise and to sing praises to God. God will show up and do things beyond your wildest imagination. He says he can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It's been proven 
time and time again, praise and worship changes everything. Psalms chapter 40 isn't written from a mountaintop. It's not written from one of life's greatest days. David said to the chief musician, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Doesn't sound like a happy day, does it? He heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. <clears throat> Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Psalms 40 reminds us that we're supposed to sing praises even from the pit. A horrible pit is what David says. And that God will incline his ear to us. He, he will hear our, our, our prayer. And now, let me, let me throw this in to make sure we get it. It may not be our way. And it may not be in our time. But he will never leave us nor forsake us. He may not answer it exactly the way we've asked for. But if we'll just praise him and leave the works up to him, he'll take care of it. Psalms chapter 3, the choir sang it last week. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. See, that, that's not a song. David wrote that song. But David wrote that song when he was running for his life. You know why? His own son, Absalom, was out to kill him. His own son wanted to kill him and take over the kingdom. And while David is on the run for his life, he stops and, and, and he writes the song. Lord, how they increase that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awake, for the Lord sustained me. Thou, O Lord, Psalm chapter 3 wasn't written from David's throne. It wasn't written after Israel came back from some great victory over the enemy and the, and the kingdom has been set up. It wasn't written after some great harvest and the barns are full and everything is plentiful. It was written when he was on his run and it, his own son is trying to kill him. Here's what it says in a nutshell. You want me to tell you what it says? On my worst day, God was enough. On my worst day, God was enough. Shout to the Lord. Praise and worship song. Somebody pronounced Darlene's last name for me. Huh? I heard it. Yes? Is that how you say it? I can barely spell it. I sure can't say it. So, so she, wrote, she wrote this song, 1993, Shout to the Lord. It's been made popular by Hillsong. Now, here, here's problems in the churches, and you'll find lots of it. We won't sing that song in this church. Tell you right now, not if that Hillsong group did it. By the way, we went to Hillsong in Atlanta. It was awesome. But I don't agree with that thing they do. And we ain't going to sing that devil music. That's what gets me devil music. We were accused of doing devil music not too long ago. Y'all know that? So, so they're not going to sing a song because they don't like the person that's singing. And when somebody like Faith chooses to sing that song... Then, then we're just that church that just does that old devil music. Well, somebody point out where the devil is to this. Because here's the song. My Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. 
Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the king. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing forever at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you. and Forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise that I have in you. That has nothing to do with Hillsong. That has everything to do with praise and, and worship. That has everything. You know, a lot of the things, I've had to learn many things as a pastor. Some of you have been along for the ride. Since I've been at this church a long time, some of you know how far I've had to come, and all of you that are here know how far I have to go. But I've had to learn some things, and you know what one of the biggest things I had to learn was? Worship isn't limited to Southern gospel music. Worship isn't limited to Southern gospel quartets. Worship isn't limited uh-oh, uh-oh, some of you elders, forgive me. Put, go ahead and put your guns down. Make sure it ain't loaded. Worship ain't limited to the old red hymnal. Some of you, I just remind you that I took all the hymnals out of the pews several years ago and gave them to smaller churches. Worship isn't limited to old-style choir music. But by the same token, worship isn't limited to contemporary Christian. It's about the position of the heart that's singing. It worship, it, it, if the heart is worshiping, the style isn't what's important. It's where is the position of the heart. The primary focus on worship are those things which are pleasing to God. I think that may be one of the things on the back of your bulletin for those of you who like to put them there. The primary focus of worship are those things which are pleasing to God. Worship is more than just music. Worship is more than, than, than just prayer. Worship is more than just coming to church on Sunday morning. True worship is a way of life. When, when we present ourselves in worship and we surrender our lives to worship, it leads to, to the, the development of Christ in us. Christians is to be Christ-like. So the essence of worship is to be transformed from what we were to what God wants us to be. We're just on a journey. Y'all remember a couple weeks ago about the process? It's just all part of the process. The book of Psalms. God gave us all of these recorded songs. This is recorded music. These are recorded songs. Here's what's amazing to me. He gave us all the words, brother. He gave me all the words in the psalm. You, you go back and look at what Moses wrote, and he wrote some of the words to the songs of Moses. Amen. Somebody say amen. Somebody agree. He, he gives us the words to the songs, but he doesn't give us the beat. God preserved the words, but he did not preserve the music. I wonder why. I don't know. It's just opinion, so y'all know that's just trash. You can take and throw it out with the rest of it. But I figure it's because music varies so much. Musical taste is as different as the individual. Not only does... Music varies from person to person, but it varies a lot from generation to generation. So the music and the style of music changes, but the Word of God doesn't. The Word of God never fluctuates. So it's not the beat of the music that matters. It's the position of the heart. We, we can't come in here and have a true heart of worship on Sunday if we have not displayed it all throughout the week. God's not looking for what we can offer on Sunday morning in the presence of others. God is looking for us to live our lives holy and pleasing to Him every day of the week so that on Sunday we can come in here and worship together in one accord. 
that we can come in here with a heart full. It's not coming here and it takes the band three songs to get us primed and ready to worship. Choir comes in and throws a couple more to get us ready to hear the gospel. We ought to come in here ready to praise. Our excitement ought to start when we get out of bed on Sunday morning. We ought to have chills in the shower knowing that we're about to fellowship with, with the body, with the family of Christ, that we're about to come together and worship, and the band's going to sing. They shouldn't be priming our pump. We ought to be worshiping with them. Psalms chapter 100, the psalm of praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Psalms chapter 8 begins and ends with the exact same words. David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. First verse, last verse, identical. Lord, O Lord, how excellent, how powerful is his name, how worthy is his name. When we call it out, even from the storms of life, he hears our cry and he moves at the praises of his people. Psalms chapter 138 through verse chapter 145, that's kind of an end to the collection of the psalms of praise that David wrote. But, but David writes all through those are all psalms of praise. They say, now I don't know because I don't know the Hebrew alphabet, so I'll give you something from some commentaries, that Psalms 145 is of a particular importance in the style of writing because it's written according to the Hebrew alphabet. They say that only one letter is left out. That would be none, N-U-N, which is the letter N. And they say there's really no reason, no explanation for it other than, than maybe because it makes the song flow a little bit better or maybe because there's 22 letters in the alphabet and it makes it three equal groups of seven. So I don't really know why he left the one out. But David says, I will extol thee, O my God. O King, I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Then we get to Psalms 146. And Psalms 146 through 150 is a whole other set of praise and worship music. Psalms 146, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Psalm 147, praise ye the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. Psalm 148, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise ye him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heaven and ye waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded them and they were. Psalm 149, praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. And then it completes the praise psalms with chapter 150. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And then we got some right here that some of the traditionalist, legalistic junk needs to read. Praise him with the sound of a trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. And then how else would God end 150 psalms of praise except this? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. 
but he reserves the last statement for us. Praise ye the Lord. So while the Psalms carry an expression of praise throughout difficult times and, and throughout good times, they give us the importance of, of praising God from the mountaintop, from the mountaintops, and the importance of, of praising God in the hard times. But they also show us that music is involved in worship. It's what a psalm is. It, it is singing. And, and I see loud musics. I, I, I told you a long time ago, if the Independent Baptist Church had a convention like the Southern Baptist, I would have got us thrown out a long time ago. I would have got us thrown out about my second or third year as pastor when I brought 10th Avenue North up here for Christmas, and they brought Santa Claus on the stage. I, I would have gotten us thrown out when we put drums up here on the stage. I would have gotten us thrown out when we, we had when we have steel guitars, lead guitars, bass guitars, and all the stuff we got. I would have gotten us thrown out. You know why? Because of legalism. But, but because of tradition. But what I see is that there's some loud voices. I, I see some loud celebration. I see instruments as being an important part of celebration and worship to God for years. The psaltery there. The psaltery is a vessel. That's a pot. It's a jug. Now, I'm not sure if it's an open bottom jug and they beat it like the drums or if it's a closed top jug and they blew it like uh, Mr. Darling on Andy Griffin. I, I don't know which way they played that jug, but I know one thing. They played that jug because it says right there that it's part of the band. They, they used it for music. We know the harp. We know the flute. We know stringed instruments. Stringed instruments are in abundance. Not just the steel guitar, lead guitar, bass guitar, and violins and fiddles and all stuff, but that's a stringed instrument. That, that, that there's tons of stringed instruments that says that, that we're supposed to use that. The organs mentioned here, those would have been things like a clarinet or a saxophone. What's called organs here, in our, like our old pipe organs, those, those are reeded instruments that are blown with air. They're played by the mouth. And then we see the timbrel, which is similar to our tambourine. And, and we know the trumpet. We know the cymbals and, and, and the high-sounding cymbals. Wow, what a band. They, they, they got it going on in, in some praise and worship. And we see these throughout all the Bible. And we even see dancing in 2 Samuel chapter 6 when David has gone and gotten the, the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Abinadab and he's bringing it into the city of David. The Bible says that he danced, verse number 5, all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries. There's that jug. They were playing the jugs, coming in with the, with the Ark of the Covenant. Timbrels and cornets and on cymbals. But verse number 14 says, 2 Samuel chapter 6, David danced before the Lord with all his might and was girded with the linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, I'm sorry, guys. I love amazing grace. I, I love amazing grace. I do, it, it reminds me that even a sorry, worthless, no-account sinner like me that deserves to go to hell and God ought to send to hell, amazing grace won't send me there. I love the old hymns. Y'all know I love some southern gospel music, but I got news for you. They ain't singing Amazing Grace when they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. They're they singing something got a beat to it. Listen, you can try with all your might. You ain't going to dance with all your might to Amazing Grace. You might get your hand up and get some worship. You might get some praise on. You might get some interior worship. But David's dancing with all his might. That means they got a beat going on in this thing. There, there, there's something happening. There's some, some loud instruments blaring. And what I see all throughout the Word of God is the importance of musical instruments. 
But are y'all ready? I know this one's on the back of your sheet because I want to make sure you get this one. Throughout the Word of God, no matter how many musical instruments you have, the most powerful instrument of praise is the human voice. You can play all the instruments you want to, but it's when the children of God start crying out praise and worship to God, that's when you got God's attention. You can play everything on this stage, but without words, it's just music. But when you incorporate the human voice that offers praise and worship, see, worship, worship includes music, but it's not about the music. It's about the heart. The band will tell you, I tell them all the time. I appreciate their hard work. I appreciate they work to perfect these songs and to get them exactly right, just like you hear them when you're on the radio. I appreciate their hard work to get them right. But I tell them, you can sing these songs to perfection. But if your prayer time before you sang wasn't the most important part of practice, if your dedication wasn't there, if you're not singing to the Lord, it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. That's true for the band. That's true for the choir. If you're singing for them, you're singing for the wrong thing. If you're singing to entertain, you're singing for the wrong thing. But if you come in with a heart that's prepared to worship, and you've prayed before you left home, and you've come in and you've prayed together as a band, and you've asked the Holy Spirit of God to anoint you and to use you, and you sing praises unto Him... Now you're going to move heaven and earth. You can miss a note and it really won't matter. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up, he's going to go right over those things. Psalms chapter 98, verse number 4 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp. With the harp and with the voice of a psalm. There's the voice again. With trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord the King. Worship is the total surrender of everything we have to God. Understanding God's purpose in, in corporate worship can mean the difference in just coming to church and going through the motion or having a meeting with the Spirit of God. There, there's a big difference in coming to God and feeling the power of God and experiencing the moving God and just coming and holding a pew down. There, there's a big difference in true praise and worship and having God speak to you and move you and just coming just, just to fill a void of time. Corporate worship. Corporate worship is not intended to be a chore. God didn't, God didn't put it on something that had to keep on our calendar. It, it, it is to be a time to come together and in one accord connect with God Almighty. Worship is not some kind of mystical thing. It's not some magical occurrence. It's not some form of religious practice. It's simply you and I making everything about Him. And I've told you several times before, if you and I will make everything about Him, He'll make everything about us. I know I've asked you this question before. Have you ever found yourself so involved in worship you forgot where you were? I mean, you just become so in tune with God that it's not even on your mind that other people are around. It's not in your mind that, that anybody else is even, even in the place. See, that's called a vertical experience. That, that is the connection between you and God. But here's the truth. A true vertical experience will unleash a horizontal experience. Because when we begin to do a true worship and we make a connection here, God will work in here in a way to begin to run over out there. God be, begins to make a difference in us that will begin to move things around us. So that the vertical worship becomes horizontal so that we all become one large vertical worship that God moves. See, a, a, a personal experience can move you, but, but a corporate experience can move a ministry. When we begin to worship... Holy Spirit moves. He begins to move on other people. The Bible calls it glorifying God. 
He tells us just the whole duty of man. Psalms 29, 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Y'all see this? Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. When we are living a heart of worship, we receive joy, but God receives the glory. A heart of worship is not something that you can turn on and off. It's a way of life. True worship is a voluntary act. Hey, guys, you stand and worship with me this morning. That's not true worship. That, that's something that's asked for. True worship doesn't come like, well, I really like to stand up and worship and praise somebody. I wonder if I do. I wonder if somebody else will stand up with me. Listen, if you're worried about anybody else around you, you're focused in the wrong place. You can't worship God worried about the thing that's going on on the outside because it's not about what anybody else is doing. It's not about what somebody else around you is doing. In real worship, we can elevate above the daily affairs of life. And we meet one-on-one with God. You guys, you singers in the band, I guess five or six of you, want to come up here and y'all find you a microphone. Greg, Tim, where's Tim? Aubrey, you guys come on find you a microphone. See, see true worship should happen at church. But true worship isn't about being at church. I heard a preacher say one time, being in church doesn't make you a child of God any more than being in an oven makes you a biscuit. (laughs) I heard another preacher. He said sitting in church doesn't make you a worshiper any more than sitting in your garage will make you a car. See, when we we come to worship, it, it doesn't matter what song the choir sings. When we come to worship, it doesn't matter what the band's going to do that morning. It doesn't matter who's wearing what, who's got on what. It doesn't matter who's in somebody else's seat. When we come to worship, everything is about Christ. See, when somebody comes to worship, we're not focused on the external things around us, but the internal things within us. We're not focused on worldly stuff. We're focused on, on heavenly things. A true heart of worship says, I can't help what's going on around me. I can't even help what's going on in my life. I've got to praise God. If you knew all that he had done for me, you'd understand. If you knew all that he's brought me through, you'd understand. If you knew what he brought me from, the filth that he reached down into, that the Son of God himself dipped down to get me out of, if you knew where he brought me from, You'd understand. If you knew that God was holding me up, if you just knew what I was going through right now and God's carrying me through it, you'd understand. I got to praise God. I got to praise God. When we start thinking of all that is already done and we begin to truly worship in the spirit and the truth, we'll experience a freedom like we've never known. Worship breaks chains. Worship moves mountains. Worship pulls us up out of some valleys. Listen, you can look at it either way you want. I've heard it say it takes two mountains to make a valley. Well, it takes two valleys to make a mountain. It don't matter how you look at it. Worship changes things. True worship is an experience of the heart. Nothing can take it away. It's not just that praise God here in our country. We have a freedom to worship, but there's a freedom that we gain from worship. 
songs of worship are important. The musical instruments are important. All the things we add to it are important. But of all the musical instruments, the most important one is the human voice. A human voice that is sang from the heart. For those of you, as many of you were reading the Bible through in a year together this year, if you've already done your reading today, you know you read Acts chapter 16. If you didn't, I'll give you a little prelude into what you're going to read. The Apostle Paul and Silas have been arrested because they were preaching the gospel. They did a miracle and people misunderstood it. So they were arrested and, and they were beaten severely with rods and whips and they're bleeding, their flesh is torn. And their, their cats, it said that to make sure that you hold them fast. That means they were put in the inner dungeons of the prison. They wasn't just in some little makeshift lockup. They're in the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon, and they are chained to the walls. They're bleeding in pain. They're, they're suffering. You can shape that any way you want. They are suffering. They are hurting. But the Bible says in the middle of their suffering and in the middle of their pain that at midnight, you know why it says midnight? That is the darkest part of the night. That is the darkest part of the storm. That is the deepest depths of the sorrow. And what it says in the midst of their pain and their sorrow, at the darkest part of the night, they didn't have any cornet. They didn't have any flute. They didn't have any drums. They didn't have any organs. They didn't have any stringed instruments. What they had was the most important instrument known to musical praise. They had their voices. And the Bible says that at midnight, they began praising in the midst of their darkest time. And because of that, God swung open the doors. Prisoners were set free, but they didn't go anywhere. And, and the captain of the guard was led to the Lord that night, along with Lord knows how many more. See, they, they refused to let their conditions dictate the level of their praise. That ain't on your sheet. You may want to write that down. They refused to let their current, current conditions dictate the level of their praise. You need God to show up. Y'all remember Mandy Brown used to do a song, Praise the Hurt Away? A lot of people did it. I just remember Mandy Brown doing it. Praise the Hurt Away. Praise the Hurt Away. I don't know. I just wonder if anybody's got anything that needs to go away. I wonder if anybody's got any hurt that they just need to praise. Where well, maybe you're on the mountaintop. Of all the music and all the instruments and all the band, that is the most powerful form of praise. The music just adds to it, but it's all about the heart. It comes out of the mouth. Praise it to God. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your head just for a minute. I wonder if there's any. Ever trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Today is a day you can change all that. Today is a day you can, can not just, just old things pass away, behold, all things become new. It's not just, just change your yesterday. You can change your eternity. You, you can walk in headed to hell and walk out headed to heaven. His name's Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The word of God makes it very clear. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. His name is Jesus. You want to be saved this morning? His name is Jesus. It's strictly up to you. It's a personal choice, personal decision. It's the free gift of God. Father, I'm a sinner. 
I'm a sinner. I'm lost in my sin. But I come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to save my soul. It's not some magic poem. It's not some magic prayer. You surrender your heart to God and let God begin to change things in you. Father, thank you so much for being so good. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for your love. God, I pray you'd forgive us, God. Forgive us for the sin of prayerlessness. Forgive us for the sin of, uh, of worshiplessness, God, that, that, that we go about our days, Father, and we don't take time to give you praise and honor and glory at all moments throughout the day, God. I pray, Father, you'd forgive us of every evil thought, every evil deed, anything in the imagination of the heart, God, that is done against you. I pray you'd help us to walk out a pure vessel, God. I pray you'd use us on this day as we go into restaurants and go into the places we go. I pray you'd make us a light in a dark world. I pray you'd use us, God, that people would see Christ in us and Christ through us, Father. God, help us to be pleasing to you. God, we don't want to be whited sepulchers. We don't want to be hypocrites. God, we just want to adore you. We want to be used by you to reach a lost and a dying world, God. Will you give us vision on how to change this town one soul at a time? How to reach the lost that the kingdom be added to? We love you, God. You've been good to us, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Make sure you love on these guys.